Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs. We're in the 26th chapter of Proverbs. We've prepared 26 and 27. If we get that far, maybe just get through 26, but we'll see. So we want to pick up in Proverbs 26, the very first verse. Verses 1 through 11 have to do with rebels. Rebels and what they are. How to deal with them. Let's look at verse 1. It says, As snow in summer, and as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. Now we have here that a rebel is dishonorable, actually. This is what it's speaking of. And honor is out of season for those that are unworthy and unfit for it, and a fool is definitely unfit for honor. So it says, as snow in summer, we know that's out of season. And as rain in harvest, so honor is not seemly for a fool. So we might say the dishonorable rebel. In verse uh, 2 it says, As a bird by wandering, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. You know, this may be the answer to superstitions. A lot of people have superstitions about this and that and the other. Have you ever seen folks that wouldn't dare, if you had a ladder in the way around the house, didn't dare walk around it, under it, had to walk around it and go through all kinds of debris and, and stuff to get around it, but they'd go around it. Well, you know, it, the only superstition I see in it, the only problem, if, if it fell on your head, you know, if it wasn't propped up good, but just walking under it, Black cat running across the road. A lot of people used to say that's bad luck, but to me, I guess it's good luck, so I'd be superstitious either way, wouldn't it? <laughs> so anyway, uh, all kinds of things people think. And you know, that, that ladder doesn't have anything to do with what you do, and neither does that cat going across the road. You know, there are black cats and white cats and all kind of colors. And so what difference does it make? But a lot of times we attach all these little ideas to uh, to things like that. Uh, he that is cursed without cause, the curse shall do him no more harm than the bird that flies over his head. So that's as much as what it's saying. As the bird by wandering and the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. It'll, it'll just not going to come upon you for that reason. Now then, let's see in verse 3. It says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Now then, you know why the fool needs a rod? Because he's undisciplined. A rebel is undisciplined. A rod for the fool's back. And then in verse 4 it says, let's read verse 4 and 5 together and then we'll comment on it. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be likened to him. Lest thou also be likened to him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Well, there's a whole lot to be said about uh, answering a fool. It says, answer not, and then it says, answer. Notice verse 4 says, answer not, and then verse 5 says, answer. So how are you going to do both those things? Well, there's a time to answer a fool and a time not to answer a fool. You know, there's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. So it says, answer not, and then it says, answer. Those who would reason with the unreasonable is speaking of here. The two ways of meeting folly. What's the first one? The careful avoidance of repeating it. 
Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like him. Don't repeat it and be like him. And then the wise condemnation of folly. Sometimes it has to be rebuked. So verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So there are some times that you have to answer. There are some times that it doesn't even pay to bother with it. And other times you, you need to bring out a, just a, a little bit of rebuke to wake up the fool in his folly. Lest he be wise in his own conceit. In other words, if you don't answer at the right time, well, then you just give him the idea that everything is okay, even though you can understand that uh, he needs to be rebuked for it. In verse uh, 6, it says, He that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the, cutteth off the feet and drinketh damage. A messenger by the hand of a fool or the message that you send. We're talking about a messenger here that's, that's not to be trusted. It's just as if you, you know, the, the messenger would run. We talk about those that run and bring the message from the battlefield in the old days. They would run across the mountains and they'd bring the good news or the bad news. And you could usually tell when you see, the, see them running or hear the feet running that whether it was good news or bad news. That's why it says, Blessed are the feet of those who preach the gospel of bringing good tidings of good things, bring good news. In Romans chapter 10. Because that good news means when you hear them coming, it's a message of encouragement and message of pos- a positive message, message of joy, message of deliverance through the gospel. But here, the messenger that has his feet cut off, he that sendeth a message by the hand of a fool cutteth off the feet. He cannot run and drinketh damage. It means that you're going to have problems. That you're going to have violence. Damage means violence. So we find here that a rebel is unreliable. He's an unreliable messenger. And he's not to be trusted in anything that he does. And now let's look at verse uh, 7, if you will. It says, The legs of the lame are not equal. So is a parable in the mouth of fools. The legs of a lame man are not equal. So is a parable. So is a parable. In the mouths of fools. A parable in the mouths of fools is awkwardness and uselessness. A person has to be able to interpret a parable or present a parable for it to be of of benefit. Look at verse 8. As he that bindeth a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. You don't want to promote a fool. And then in verse 9, it says, look at this one. As a thorn goeth into the hand of a drunkard, so is a parable in the mouths of fools. What happens when you put a thorn into the hand, when a thorn goes into the hand of the drunkard, when he sticks his hand on a thorn? It's a self-inflicted wound and self-inflicted pain. The drunkard afflicts himself by his carelessness and by throwing his hand on a thorn. And it says, so is a parable in the mouth of fools. It doesn't do very much good for him to have it, does it? And then in verse 10 it says, The great God that formed all things both rewardeth the fool and rewardeth rewardeth transgressors. In other words, God is a God of judgment. And He's just in His judgment. And He will reward both the confirmed fool and the... Outright transgressor. The Bible 
tells us, and we had it, I think, Sunday in our message, that the Lord knoweth how to to bring the righteous, uh, the ungodly into judgment and bring the, the righteous out, deliver the righteous out of judgment. In, over in the book of Second Peter, chapter 2. Now then, let's notice this in verse uh, 11. It says, As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. What does it mean? It means it's, it's his nature to do so. This was the thing we picked up in Second Peter in our lesson uh, Sunday, remember? The dog turns to his own vomit again and the uh, sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So the reason that we said that these that this represents people that are unsaved instead of God's people that are backslidden, as some have tried to teach, is because you see the nature of the case uh, that the... the the dog and the sheep and the uh, sow have not a, a sheep nature, and the sheep has only a sheep nature. He doesn't have a dog nature or a sow nature, and that's why God's people are classified as sheep. And so that's why it could not represent God's people uh, backsliding because they are God's sheep. Even if they go astray, they can be brought back to the right path. But the dog and the sow, the sow that's washed will return to her wallowing in the mire because that's her nature. So here we find that as a dog returned to his vomit, so a fool returned to his folly. It's his nature to do so, and that's why he returns. What, does, what happens to God's people when they stray away? They return to God through maybe chastisement. We don't know, but they're going to return to God. And uh, they don't return to something that is their nature to be down like a dog or a sow and into the corruptness of, of the world. They return to God, through, though it may be through much affliction, though it may be through chastening, though God may correct us time and time again. Remember, God's people are to be chastened when they do wrong, just like your children to be chastened when they do wrong. And God is able to do that too. Did you know that? And he, in fact, he, he will do it to make sure that he keeps us closer to him. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So it shows that God loves us, not that he doesn't love us. When fathers chasten or correct their children, it means fathers and mothers love their children. That's why they do it. They don't do it because they're, they hate them. They do it because they love them. That's why they do it. That's why God does it to us. Uh, the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I've kept thy law. He said, it is good for me that I've been afflicted. Can you imagine someone saying, it's good for me that I've been afflicted? Well, he realized that through that it brought him... He says, I know that in, in love thou hast afflicted me. You find all these statements in 119th Psalm about affliction. There's a, there's a whole uh, cluster of them that you can find there. And so... This has to do with bringing us closer to God. But we're talking about here a corrupt nature, an awful, sinful nature. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returneth to his folly. Look at verse 12, will you? Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Look at that. An egotistical person. A man wise in his own conceit. It says there's more hope of a fool. You know, there's very little hope for a fool. But it says there's more hope of a fool than of him. 
If we cannot get ourselves to the place in life that we realize God is overall and we're just mere creatures of the dust and that we need God's guidance every day, we need His help every day, you know, if we get too high and mighty, God is able to bring us down a notch or two. And that's something we have to guard against because men have this uh, ego build-up, egotistical idea in their minds and hearts many times and we we get to thinking that we're worth more than we are and god has to say well look fella what are you really and then we begin to think about it a little and we realize god knows best don't we we're not so hot after all are we so it says seest thou a man wise in his own conceit and what does it say there is more hope of a fool than of him look at the next one verse 13 It says, the slothful man saith, there is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. Look here. There's a lion in the way. There's a lion in the streets. You know the slothful, the bum, the lazy man has all kinds of excuses. He says, I can't go get a job because, you know, it's, it's bad out there. You know, I can't go to work because it's too cold. And it's too hot out there and I need an air conditioner. If I'm going to do any work. You know, it's just all bad. Every way he looks at it, it's just one excuse after another. And uh, fancied excuses. If there's not an excuse that he can find, he'll make up one. And that's exactly, there's a line in the street, in the way. A line in the streets. Have you ever seen folks that just manufacture obstacles to keep them from doing what they know they ought to do? I mean, they just make them up. If you find some of these guys and you offer them a job and you say, well, look, if you'll do this, well, you know, well, you know, I just, I just not able to do that because, and they'll start, you know, I got a sore leg, I got a bad back, my shoulder's out of joint, uh, I can't see very good. First thing you know, they're falling apart. If they're near, if they're as bad as they profess to be, they ought to be in the hospital right now. And you know, some folks just have all kinds of excuses. Don't make excuses. Just do what you're supposed to do. I realize that all of us have afflictions. All of us have certain problems. All of us have certain things happen to us. We, ask to, we have to ask for God's grace and God's help and God's direction. But let's go on and, and do what we're responsible to do all through life. And it'll be better for us instead of making up a bunch of excuses. A line in the way. A lion in the streets. Look at verse 14. It says, As the door turneth upon his hinges. Boy, we know how that goes, don't we? You open the door, and what does it do? As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. He's restless on his bed. He just cannot rest because he knows he's too lazy to even... He's latched to his bed, and he's too lazy to get up. And in fact... He don't. He he is so restless that even when he goes to bed at night, he can't sleep because he knows how lazy he is. <laughs> Do you know that? If you're a hard worker, you know what's going to happen. If you work hard all day, you hit that bed, you're going to go to sleep, most likely, unless you have some medical problem that uh, you can't sleep. But I'm talking about. You know, it's just a natural thing. When you get tired, when you get tired, you get hungry, you get sleepy. And so you, you take care of those physical needs. But 
Here this guy says, As the door turneth upon his hinges, so, so doth the slothful upon his bed. Relate that to David. Remember David? It says, At the time that the kings went forth to battle, now look, David was the King David. David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it says, Came to pass, what? In the middle of the night, he rose from off his bed. Why? What was he doing? Was he doing what he was supposed to be doing? No. He was lazy. He said, I'm just going to sit back and rest a while. They can fight that battle without me. And then he began to look and lust and committed adultery. All kinds of bad things happened to him. And how did it start out? Just slacking off. Someone said, I'm just going to slack off from church. I'm just going to slack off from serving God. You slack off and you're opening the door for the devil to get in there and really cause you some problems, I'll guarantee you. You better keep on keeping on. It says they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine, teaching, and in breaking of bread and fellowship. They, they continued steadfastly. And we ought to continue steadfastly. So, the slothful. It says, now look, what does it lead to? In the next verse, verse 15, The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. In other words, he, he's not only too lazy to sleep, but he's too lazy to eat. He wants somebody to feed him as well. He, wants, he hides his hand in his bosom. You know, I'd love to have that. That's a good plate, plate lunch on my table, but... You know, I just don't feel like it. Well, he probably just hide his hand in his bosom till he starves, won't he? But the thing about it is, uh, the sluggard, the slothful, hides his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him. He is weary. You know, if you have a marginal reference on that, it says, he is weary. He's too weary to feed himself. To bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard, verse 16, is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Unteachable. He's unteachable. He's wiser in his own conceit than what? Than seven men that can render a reason. Here's a man that's so wise in his own conceit that you have seven wise men. And what is it? He's so conceited that these seven wise men can't tell him a thing in the world. That's, that's pretty bad, isn't it? You have seven wise men, seven counselors here, and you've got one fellow that thinks he's so conceited that he thinks he knows more than all of them put together. You know, that's, that's trying to plow against the odds, isn't it? Randy and I was talking one day about different notes that we have and, and uh, scholarship and uh, biblical field. And listen, you have to accept scholarship. I mean, there's men of old that have checked a lot of these things out. It doesn't mean all of them agree on the same thing. But it does mean when you've got about 50 that say it's one way, and you try to uh, just buck the tide and say, no, it can't be that way. You know, there's 50 minds against yours. So you better think about it at least and say, well, you know, am I a fool and I'm so wise in my own conceit that I can't accept the truth that... These 50 wise men, professors of theology through the years. And I don't mean that there's not false ones. I'm just saying that there, you have to accept scholarship as you go along and study the Bible. 
Just let's don't ever get to the place that we think we know it all and that the whole world is wrong. There's some things we differ on. But you know, if you find something in the way of theology that you differ on, you, you usually find two or three that's on your course and track too that believe like you do. You, you cannot be completely isolated from those that have studied God's Word. You'll find some in agreement with you if you're on the right track. And sometimes you may be a little outnumbered too on your convictions. But that means, but you still got to study it out. It's what I'm trying to get over to you. So it says here, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Look at this next verse. And here you have the busybody. The busybody. He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, belonging not to him, is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Boy, you're asking for trouble, isn't it? Now, what, is it, what does he do? Meddleth with strife, belonging not to him. He, he's uh, sticking his nose in everybody's business. Trying to find out everybody's business but his own. He's meddling. Look at that. See, see these words and, and let them sink in. Read it over and over again. You don't get it the first time. Sometimes you don't get it the third time. Just let it, just uh, digest it. Take it in to you. It says, He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, belonging not to him. You're interfering in some business that doesn't even belong to you. And what does it do? It's like one that taketh a dog by the ears. You're just asking for trouble. You go out there and get that old bulldog with that big spike collar around there and pretty mean, or Doberman or something, you know. And boy, you take him by the ears, you're asking for trouble. And that's exactly what happens when you start meddling in everybody's business but your own. Now then, you should take care of your own business. The Bible teaches us to be diligent in our own business. And there are some business that we have to take care of in spite of the fact you may have to face some dangers and problems. There are some things that are our responsibilities. You say, I'll I'll deal with it as long as it's easy. But some things are hard to deal with. There's not everything in life that's easy to deal with. So the Bible tells us to be diligent in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Paul tells us that in the New Testament. And uh, But here, to just go meddling in someone's affairs is not a wise thing to do. In verse, um, <clears throat> by the way, it's in he's in trouble constantly when he does that. Look at verse uh, 18. As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, Am am not I in sport? In other words, I didn't mean any harm. He's casting firebrands and arrows and death, and he's deceiving his neighbor. And he says, Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't really mean it. I tell you, when the firebrand starts and the arrow starts flying... And the trouble starts coming. I don't think the fellow's kidding. It's just like old David. You know, Saul threw a javelin at him. I think Saul was after him, don't you? Well, fortunately enough, God delivered David out of Saul's hand and didn't permit that javelin to strike him through. But old uh, Saul was in earnest when he was trying to get David. But when a fellow does these things to you and tries to make you believe that he didn't mean anything by it, it's pretty hard for me to be convinced that when a man throws the, shoots the arrow and it just barely misses me, that he's just joking. 
you know, that he really didn't mean it. Say, I hit you up beside the face, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. My hand was just coming around this way and you was in the way of it. I didn't mean it. Well, listen, there are certain things that you've got to look uh, look at uh, kind of square in the face and see if he's really... Am not I in sport? Now look at verse 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tailbearer, and that means a whisperer or gossiper, the strife ceaseth. You know what feeds the fire? More wood. You just put more wood on the fire. Where no wood is, the fire goeth out. Here's, here's, a, here's a man that's always a gossiper. And he keeps the fire going. He's the tailbearer. And he refashions all the facts to, to fuel the fire. There may be an element of, of truth in what he says, but don't keep it burning. You know the best thing to do when you have problems and troubles and trials? Sometimes is to be quiet about it. And you just don't keep adding fuel to the fire. I know what that wood is. When no wood is, the fire goes out. You've heard me say before, I used to live up here on Carissa Canyon. In those days we had nothing but a wood stove. By the way, we didn't even have a wood heater. We had a big wood cook stove and that was the heater. That was the only thing in the house that kept you warm. And we'd gather in that kitchen around that old wood cook stove. It was about one of those big ones with a warming closet up on top, you know. We'd gather around that wood cook stove and I'd go up on the mountain. I mean, I was a little old boy. Had to go up on the mountain and find a dead piece of juniper and chop it in two with an old double-bitted axe. Drag it down the hill, get it up there to the house, and then we'd take a handsaw and we'd saw it up. Mother liked it real neat. <laughs> saw it up in lengths. You know those little old sto- those stoves, they had to have about a foot long wood, and then you had to split it up. And you split that wood and make a pile of wood. I mean, the next day after school, the same story. Because if you didn't, if it was no wood, the fire went out. And when the fire went out, there's no food. And when the fire went out, there's there's no warmth either. But that's a good example of what we need to do. You know, one time Mother had this big old stove fired up, you know, and had a big dish of pears on there, cooking them down for pear preserves. And up on the top of this warming closet, there was some detergent. And I came by and I accidentally hit that box of does. Remember that old does? And I hit that box of does and it dumped it in that nice kettle of pear preserves just ready to take up. And mother looked at me and I thought she was going to really play into me. And they had that little jingle on radio at that time. Said, does, does everything. And I said, Mama, I said, does, does everything. And she started laughing and didn't whip me. Boy, if it hadn't been for that, I'd have really been in for it. <laughs> does, does everything. Boy, it really saved me because that whole thing of power preserves had to go out, be thrown out. Sugar and all the cooking and all the peeling of those pears, it takes a lot of pears to make a pot of power preserves. I mean, there's not much to them when you start peeling them and putting them in, sliding them up in there. Probably it took a half a bushel to make what she had there. But anyway, she loved me a great deal. So anyway, we get on to this. It says, uh, uh, 
in verse 20. Where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail bear, the strife ceaseth. So don't keep whispering. The, the marginal reference for tail bear is whisper. Don't whisper. Don't gossip. And keep the thing rolling. Just leave it be. And go ahead and love one another. And everything will be alright. Everything will be alright. Just return it with some real godly love. In verse 21, as coals are to burning, uh, as coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. What he does, he just takes a tidbits of gossip here and there and kindles something out of it. So is a contentious man to kindle strife. You see, you have to have uh, the the fire burning first, and this is the way it's kindled. As coals, if you just have coals, as coals are to burning, if you just have coals out there and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. He has to take this gossip and make it uh, start burning more uh, vigorously than it is. And then it says in verse 22, The words of a tail bearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Someone says, well, words won't hurt you. Words do hurt. The words of a tail bearer are as wounds. So be careful of the words you say. Keep them soft and sweet, for you never know from day to day which ones you'll have to eat. Isn't that right? They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Verse 23 says, Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. You know what that is? You take a, a potsherd, is a broken piece of pottery. And you take an old clay pot out there, and a piece of that broken clay pot, and you know when, when a clay pot gets broken anywhere, it's just about fit for nothing but throw down somewhere in the dirt and let it continue to dissolve. I mean, get rid of it. It's not worth anything. It's, and the bo- broken piece of pottery. Now look, it says, burning lips and a wicked heart are like like this broken, broken piece of pottery and it's covered with silver dross. In other words, it's deceitful. It, you're deceived by it. And then in verse 24, He that hateth dissembleth with his lips and layeth up deceit within him. Here's a man full of hate. What does he do? He lays it up within him. When he speaketh fair, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Have you ever seen people that tell you things and you know just as sure as they're telling you can't believe a word of it? That's awful. To have that kind of wickedness and you know that kind of wickedness in in certain individuals. I think most of us have seen it from time to time. It says, when he speaketh fair. And he speaks fair. He makes his voice gracious. It says, believe him not. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Where are abominations? Where, where do things come from within man? From right inside of us. The heart doesn't mean the organ, uh, the heart that pumps blood. It means our inmost being. We call this our heart, this pump. And as a part of our body, that's what we call it. But... Our heart, as far as scriptures are concerned, means the inmost being, our very inner man, from our, the very depths of our seat of affections. It's inside of us. 
Jesus said, out of the heart of man cometh forth wicked things. Right? He says of, of idolatries, witchcrafts, evil surmisings, and so on. Jesus calls the roles. Thefts, murders. And He names the role of evil that comes from uh, within the heart of man. Out of the heart of man comes these things. That's why the Bible says in, another, in one of the Psalms, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. That may be Proverbs instead of Psalms. But anyway, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Now let's look at this next verse. Whose hatred is covered by deceit. Verse 26. His hatred is covered by deceit. His wickedness shall be showed, or shewed, which is showed, before the whole congregation. His hatred is covered by deceit. That means he keeps his hatred in secret. Covered by deceit is secret hatred. But it's going to be revealed. His wickedness shall be showed or revealed and known before the whole congregation. You know, you can fool some people part of the time, but not all the people all the time, can you? So, eventually, what you are and who you are is going to be known. Someday... All you are is going to come out and they say, well, I can see what kind of person that is now. Because it will come out in your life. It has to come out in your life. You're not going to keep it secret. Remember when Peter was walking afar off from the Lord? And one of them says, well, you were also with them. Your speech betrayeth you. And if you're a child of God... If you're a Christian, if you really are a godly person, if you're a child of God, you may get off on the wrong road sometime, but somebody's going to find out you really are a child of God. You belong to the Lord. By something you say or do, they're going to recognize it. And uh, you don't have to go around telling everybody all the time. I've seen people, a little waitress in a restaurant or something, and by her very attitude coming up to you, to waiting on your table, you can tell she's a Christian without ever saying a word. Have you seen people like that? See people you know, you go to the hospital and see someone, you can tell that. You, you walk around in society and public, and you can tell when, the way a person approaches you, and the way they talk to you, and the kindness, and the love, and the forgiveness that's in their heart. You see, when God saves you, he changes the inside of you. You're a different person than you were before. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And you and I are not what we would be apart from God's grace. We would be far worse than we are. We're not too good now. But brother, think what we'd be without the grace of God. We'd really be rotten, wouldn't we? And then in verse 27, look at this. Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. What does that mean? If you dig a pit for someone else to fall in, listen, this is important. If you dig a pit for someone else, saying, I hope this guy comes by and he falls in this hole. Or if you roll a stone and you say, I hope this hits him, it's going to boomerang. It's going to come back and hit you. And we have evidence of that. Look in the book of Esther 5 verse 14. Esther 5 verse 14 says, then said Zerash, his wife, and his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits. 
high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. In other words, Haman was told that he ought to build a gallows. And he says, make a gallows. uh, Zerash, his advisor, and his wife, and his friend said, Haman, you make a gallows 50 feet, 50 cubits high, rather. Uh, That'd be uh, 50 cubits would be 75 feet. Uh, And tomorrow speak thou unto the king, you talk to the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go and merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Haman says, okay, that's a good idea. I'll make a gallows, this Mordecai, this Jew. I hate him, and I'm going to do him in, and I'm going to make a gallows for him, and I'm going to say something to the king and cause Mordecai to be hanged thereon. But in the seventh chapter... Verse 9 and 10, it says, And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, and a lot of things transpired by this time to cause it to backfire on Haman. It says, And Harbona, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him thereon. Hang Haman on that gallows that he made. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Now back in our verse of Scripture, and we're about through. It says, Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and he that rolleth a stone, it will return upon him. You know, they've got this thing you throw that's called a boomerang. You throw it out there, it goes out and it comes back to you, doesn't it? And sometimes when we try to do evil to the other person, it's going to backfire and it'll come back to you. It'll come back to us. So it doesn't pay, does it? And then the last verse of Scripture, and we'll close with this, verse 28 in Proverbs 26, it says, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Hatred and pride are both fatal to an individual. Look at that again. A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Hatred and pride are very fatal. Flattery is not a good thing either. The Bible speaks against flattery. For me to tell you that you're something that you're not. It's better to be honest. It's better to be straightforward. And say we all are what we are by the grace of God. None of us any better or any worse. You know, none of us are to be tromped on, tromped on their underfoot, and no one is to be high and mighty and think he's above everyone else. But there's a middle ground. It says, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Paul says in Romans 12 that a man ought to listen. And we'll close with this. That a man ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That's that middle ground of thinking about yourself. According as God has dealt to every man, everyone, the measure of faith. Now then, and Paul goes on to say to Timothy and Titus both, let no man despise thee, don't be tromped on, and let no man despise thy youth. You're not a floor mat for anyone. And you're not to lord it over anyone. But you're to stand as a dignified human being and expect the respect and honor that we should give one another as individuals. All right.
Thank you very much for your patience, your kind attention. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer.